Hi, I'm Edwin. And I'm Andrew. Two men. Fifteen minutes. Eternal impact. Welcome to Text Talk. His glory I will see. I will Hey there, Edwin. Hey, Andrew. Buddy, it's Friday. You love Friday. I really do. I Is really it because do. it's the last one of these we have to do this week, or you just love Friday? You know what? I do like, uh, sometimes it's with fear and anxiety, but sometimes it's with joy and exuberance, looking forward to Sunday, getting together to worship at Livingston. I love the singing, love the congregation, love the worship. If uh, anybody that listens to these conversations happens to be in the Tampa area this Sunday, I really hope... Uh, that you'll come out, let us know you're listening to the podcast. But all the information can be found at christiansmeethere.org, christiansmeethere.org. So we're looking forward to the weekend. But let's talk about Psalm 8. Psalm 8, which, as you've already pointed out, is quoted in other places in Scripture. And I hope we can talk about that a little bit today. I want to I wanna talk a little bit about Hebrews yeah, and how the Hebrew author looks at Psalm 8 a little bit differently. But Let's begin by reading it, and today I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it says, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. So yeah, you were talking about how the Hebrew writer, the Holy Spirit through the... Hebrew writer makes use of this psalm uh, in his teachings in the book of Hebrews, and we find it quoted in, uh, or used, I should say, in Hebrews chapter 2. Interesting to me, this is an, another one of those versions. We talked a little bit about the difference, was it in verse 5, mm-hmm. uh, about how you choose or how the English translators will choose to handle the Elohim. Um well, sort of factors into the way it, it's used in the arguments in Hebrews. It, it is. And also, the uh, this the New Living Translation, I guess I'm going to say this is one I don't like, when they change it to mortals and human beings, uh, because they also do that in, in the Hebrew letter. And yeah. I guess the reason I don't like that is because it misses the play that the Hebrew writer makes off of Son of Man. I understand mm-hmm. why they did that. They, they want us to understand that when... Uh, David was saying man and son of man. He was referring to mankind, and so I appreciate that. Yeah. But because they made that choice, I think it makes it a little bit dif- more difficult to understand why the Hebrew writer chose this yeah. passage. Yeah, why would he do that? It yeah. does, yeah, so, it kind of muddies so that, it. That's that's an interesting thing here. But I, I do think we get a lot out of reading some different translations and just I've seeing enjoyed how those it. are I've enjoyed it every with. week. So I appreciate that. This is, this is quoted in Hebrews, and what... What I find in Hebrews mm-hmm. is that it's almost like the Hebrew writer is using this psalm in the exact opposite way. <laughs> it's it's, it's well, interesting. there's certainly an emphasis going on in Hebrews about the, the order of angels and all of this to appreciate some of the, I guess, humility of mm-hmm. Jesus, work yeah. of Jesus. Well, okay, so now the first thing is you've just already said Jesus. Because what we recognize in Hebrews is that the Hebrew writer says, well, Psalm 8's actually about Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, he, uh, 
well, I guess, yeah, it's uh, beginning really in Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2 lays out that uh, the consummation of God's work is in the Son. And the role of the Son um, is going to be contrasted even with spiritual beings such as angels. Um, I'm not sure where all you kind of want to jump into how this psalm works in, but I, I do know in the book of Hebrews, mm-hmm. uh, the the setup is we're going to contrast uh, the greatness of the Son and the promises made to the Son over uh, over and against angels so that there be no confusion uh, about the, the place of the Son and his work versus other spiritual beings, you know, in case there was a temptation or maybe it was even going on in some of those cultures at that time of angel worship. You don't do that. Or viewing uh, the sun as just another angel. Or viewing the sun as just another angel. Which That's some right. religions today still do. Now, that does still happen today. Yeah, You're right yeah. about that. Well, let's just go ahead and look back at Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, and I'm reading from the ESV now, long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Notice this, through whom also he created the world. You remember, ah. I had that little slip earlier in the week. But, but the slip was still true. No, it's true. And yeah. that does remind us of Psalm 8, a lot about creation of the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and it holds the universe by the word of his power. After mm. making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Okay, yeah. man, if that doesn't tie in to Psalm 8, oh, just the, the universe, the, the heavens, along, we've yeah. got creation, we've mm-hmm. got Jesus, who is actually the creator, yeah. who has a surpassing excellence and mm-hmm. majesty, mm-hmm. his name that he has inherited as God and yeah. being the son of God is is far surpassing that of angels. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but now we've got this Psalm 8 that when David is looking back at Adam, David is amazed that God would take someone so inconsequential as Adam and lift him up Mm -hmm. to the level of being just lower than Elohim. Mm -hmm. But apparently the Hebrew writer is reading from the Septuagint, where it is just lower than the angelos, the Ah, angels. angels. And now as the Hebrew writer looks back, he doesn't look through Psalm 8 to Adam. He looks through Psalm 8 to Jesus. Yeah. And and he recognizes that well for Adam this is an exaltation to be brought up to the level just below the angels, but Jesus when he becomes man, mm-hmm. what is that for him? Yeah, this is what well, can I use the word demotion, I guess. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. That's exactly what it is. A humbling. So, so as so as David is looking at at man, this is so amazing that you've done this for Adam and then of course looking on to him as king and the victories mm-hmm. he's had and and the fact that God has placed him in a place of dominion and rule and how amazed he is at that. Right. It's it's a promotion, it's an exaltation, it's a lifting up. But the Hebrew writer says, "Wait a minute." God the Son came into the world, and and when he became a little lower than the angels, that was not exaltation. That is, a demotion is a great word. That is condescension. That is coming down. And so he takes this psalm and says, you know, if this was true for Adam, that he was made a little lower than the angels, and David a little lower than the angels, this is true for Jesus when he becomes man. And I think he's catching on the use of that phrase, son of man which is often used to refer to Jesus in the New Testament. 
Yeah, so why don't I just go ahead and read that? Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, read the part in Hebrews 2. We, so we can start, what, in verse 5 maybe? Yeah, do that. Okay, so I'm reading from the New King James. Uh, For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And so the Hebrew writer looks at Psalm 8, instead of looking back at Adam, looks forward to, from from the David perspective, looks yeah. forward to Jesus. Yeah. And, and boy, this is, this is a different picture for Jesus than it is for Adam. Jesus is demoted. He condescends. He has, he has brought low. Mm-hmm. We, we think of the Philippian letter as Paul talked about Jesus emptying himself and taking the form of a human and coming yes, in the likeness yeah, of a servant too. and then being obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And because of that, he's going to be, he will be highly exalted because of that. But that whole process was being made lower. Yeah. And so now he says that, all right, but, mm-hmm. but there's some truth in this Psalm that applies to Jesus. And that is, he is given dominion over everything All things. Yeah. that God has created. He is given dominion over everything. And th- th- this Hebrew writer, I think, I- I'm not exactly sure which direction he's going on this when he says that right now we don't see everything in subjection to him. It may be that he's using that as a, hey guys, there's something about this Psalm that ought to niggle at the back of our mind that maybe even from the beginning, it wasn't really intended to be about Adam mm. because Adam didn't do very well with his subjection. Mm. And even now we see mankind and, and really the world is not truly subjected to him. I mean, right. you remember Job? What did God say to Job about Leviathan and Behemoth? Yeah. <laughs> they were yeah. Not, he didn't have yeah. much dominion over them. No, that's right. So he says this, this should have, maybe he's pointing out that when we actually look at where man is on this, we should have recognized he really had a bigger meaning and we finally see it truly fulfilled in Jesus. And that's what we're heading towards. It's also possible that he's just saying, look, Jesus came to be man and son of man. And so all of this is true for him, but he isn't quite in dominion of everything yet because we're waiting for death to be in subjection to him. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, that there's a a prophetic element of this, that ultimately when he returns in the great resurrection and even death comes under him, uh, like in 1 Corinthians 15 15, talks Mm -hmm. about that, then all things are his... What all of his enemies are made as footstool. All enemies are made footstool. He has, so he he everything is put in subjection to him. Well, except of course God, except God, because mm-hmm. as as it points out that the one who puts all things in subjection to him would not be in subjection. God the Father, God the that Father, is. Yeah. and so we recognize this. But it's truly powerful to me and. Mm-hmm. To me, this is just, again, another reminder. In the things that I've read, I understand that there was no one throughout history, if so, it's so inconsequential that people aren't finding it, viewed Psalm 8 as messianic until the Hebrew writer wrote this. Okay. And one of the things that that reminds me of is that the defining moment of history 
is the resurrection. Mm, yeah. And the, the resurrection defines everything before it and mm-hmm. defines everything after it. And it reminds me, you know, there's so many things about these scriptures. Psalm 8. I mean, if you were just to read Psalm 8 and not know anything about Jesus, you wouldn't think that it was saying, hey, someone is coming who is going to be made for a little while lower than the angels, but really has dominion over everything. But the Hebrew writer, right, yeah. knowing about the resurrection, reads Psalm 8 and says, aha. Now, listen, I understand that it's also by inspiration, which which makes it all the more certain. Yeah, that, well, that makes him help see these things, I think. I think so. <laughs> but that idea that as we go through the Old Testament, we're going to see Jesus. Yeah. These things were leading to him. So it's no wonder that when... Jesus was resurrected and he meets with the apostles or the folks, uh, the guys on the road to Emmaus. Amaze, he yeah. opens the scriptures to them and shows how the law and the prophets and the writings were actually about, about him. him. Yeah. Even Psalm 8, mm-hmm. actually about him. And I think about that time when Jesus made his prophecy about destroy this temple and in three d- days I will rebuild it. Yeah. Even the apostles, when he said that, had no idea what he was talking about. They thought he was talking about the temple in Jerusalem. Right. It was only after the resurrection that they thought back to that statement and said, oh, oh. That's what that was. He was talking about himself. Yeah. yeah. The resurrection is this defining moment and it changes everything before and everything after it. And yes. as we read the Old Testament, Psalm 8, every psalm, we need to be seeing it through the lens of Jesus. And that's what the Hebrew writer does. And really, really, it makes the point even David had more poignant. It's the one that we kept wanting to get to as we read it, even though it wasn't there until we know about Jesus. And that is, wow, why would God be so mindful of us that he would make his son a little lower than the angels in order to crown him with glory and honor, but do it by killing him? Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. How mindful, why would God be that mindful of us? And once I read Psalm 8 through the lens of Jesus, suddenly it truly, I mean, it was amazing before, but now it's just awe-inspiring and humbling. Yeah. yeah, amen to that, amen to that. We'd love to know what you're learning as you read along in Psalm 8. Send us an email, texttalk at christiansmeethere.org. We'd love it too if you could uh, give us a review subscribe to the podcast, share it with someone else. Uh, We love talking about the text, getting good feedback from all of you. And so if you'd help us to share it with others, that would be a great blessing. Let's have a word of prayer. Our great God and Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this day, this week that we've had to contemplate Psalm 8 together. And Father, how wonderful to end by seeing the connections that uh, we find in the book of Hebrews, just to spend a little time devoted and thinking about Jesus Christ and about what it meant, Father, to leave the grandeur and glory of heaven, to walk this earth, to humble himself, to be a little lower than angels, he who created all, and and Father, even to lay down his life and taste death. We know, Father, that he became like his brethren in all points, that he has known what it's like to be tempted and tried, discouraged. Father, he's known what it's like to to walk and trust with you even in difficult times. And so I pray, Father, that we might follow that example today, knowing that, Father, we have a good high priest who understands all of this for us. He died and he rose again. Father, help us to walk in that victory as children of yours this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for talking about the text with us today. I'm Edwin Crozier, and I'd like to invite you to join the Christians Who Meet on Livingston Avenue this Sunday for our Bible classes and worship. You can find out more at christiansmeethere.org. Check out our daily written devotional that goes along with today's episode. 
You can find a link for it in our show notes. Michael Eldridge wrote and sang all four parts of our theme song. You can get more from him at acapeldridge.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast so others can learn about it more easily. Have a great day. 